Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for our congregation of prayer. Come to you each morning at about 9 a.m. Uh, with this guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. That's t- so that the Word of God would dwell richly in you with readings and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The uh, I see you all actually say good morning to me as well in the chat. And I just realized I greet you with good morning each morning and you do the same in the chat. So thank you for that. Uh, Don and Karen, Karen, Michael, Gus and Eileen, Mom. <laughs> it's good to have you there. Um, today we'll continue our catechesis in 2 Samuel. We're going to jump a few chapters. So um, you might go back and read chapters 2 through 4 of 2 Samuel, kind of get some of the in-between story. I'll refer to it today, though, um, just kind of briefly. Um, but it's basically David doing the mop-up missions that he needs to do in between the death of Saul and um, before he can become a king over all Israel and Judah. But we'll talk about that in a moment. We begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans 5, verse 19. Let's say it again. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans 5, verse 19. All right. Hold on one second. Today's one of those torture test days to see... uh, how we can fare when everybody's trying to use the internet all at once. So I'm just keeping an eye on it. I might get a little bit blocky or, you know, whatnot, but hopefully not too much. Let's say our psalm for this week. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Our first reading today is from Second Timothy chapter 
too. Now in verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle of all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. There ends the reading. Yeah, I see the comment. Uh, The internet has been uh, quite a bit better. Uh, What's happened today is what we need for uh, video streaming like this is is upload bandwidth, which that's the bandwidth that's severely limited by us here at the school. And uh, uh, today there's a number of students that are isolating at home, um, having exposure to COVID, I guess. And so then um, they're trying to do virtual learning or stream their classroom. So we're all trying to send video. <laughs> There's three classrooms and myself. Uh, so we get what we get. Uh, to this reading from Paul, again, Paul is instructing Timothy on how to be uh, a faithful and diligent pastor in his work, um, but also warning him of the kind of traps that might be set. You notice here at the end, um, just like we heard in the psalm about the snare of the fowlers, so we have the snare of the devil, um, which sets us captive, but of course the Lord has broken us from that snare unless we subject ourselves again to it. All right, so that's the first key. Um, warn them, charge them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. All right, so there's many things that a pastor or preacher can say, but they don't always benefit the, the hearer. So there is a skill, or an art, I should say, to preaching the appropriate word at the appropriate time. Uh, there's the famous maxim to, that the, the word rightly preached uh, comforts the terrified and terrifies the comfortable. Right? And that's the proper application of law and gospel would be another way to say that. Uh, rightly dividing the word of truth right here. That's law and gospel, verse 15. Right? Speaking the appropriate word at the appropriate time. Uh, but profane... Shun profane and idle babblings, which don't really benefit us, right? So this is the kind of preaching that, unfortunately, you often hear in Christian churches, which is, you know, practical life lessons, as valuable as those might be, 
um, they are idle and profane. They don't actually apply God's word to you. They just tell you how to live apart from God. Um, and that's what makes them profane. And of course, there appears to be some philosophers of that sort in the church that are leading people astray from God's word into, um, I guess, popular psychology or, or um, philosophy in their day. Right? One of the things they taught is actually uh, recorded here, saying that the resurrection has already happened. It's already passed. We're living in the resurrection now. You can have your best life now, that kind of thing. All right. Um, right. So then again, more wisdom here from Paul about um, who to engage in, who to avoid. This is straight out of the Proverbs, right? Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate this strife, right? So pick your battles, you might say. Um, this is in the Proverbs. It talks about uh, a word fitly spoken is like an apple set in uh, a setting of a golden apple in a setting of silver. Um, so a wise word to to the one who accepts uh, reproof, uh, but also if you try to speak to those who will not hear, um, it's it's actually a waste of time, and it, and more so, um, it ends up causing more difficulty, right? So speak your peace and then move on, um, whether they'll hear you or not. That kind of idea. All right, and then our reading for catechesis today is from 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall be, or shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 33 year olds, 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. He shall be cat chief and captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into your house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo inward. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. 
The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come up, or come upon them from in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching of the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so, as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. All right. So, back to the beginning, some catechesis here. Uh, Who came to David at Hebron? All the tribes of Israel. All right. Uh, This is important to note um, because of what? As I said, I'll fill in a little bit of the backstory. What happened in 2 Samuel 2, um, there we hear about David being anointed king of Judah, not over all Israel, just Judah. So, for example, there it says, Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So we hear that again. So um, before David can become king over both Israel and Judah, um, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, is made commander of Saul's army by Abner, who we met before. All right. So that's back in chapter two. David king over Judah, Ishbosheth king over Israel. And then, of course, uh, not surprising, they go to war. All right. And we hear of some of uh, David's firstborn sons (laughs) born to him in Hebron, not the ones listed today. Those would be uh, Ammon, who was born of Ahinoam of the Jezreelites, Chiliab, born by Abigail, Absalom, born the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, Uh, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, Sheph. Atiyah, the son of Abital, and Ithraim of Eglah, David's wife. Those were born to him in Hebron. And those are just the sons, not the daughters. All right. Uh, but then, funny story, Abner um, betrays uh, Ishbosheth and joins in league with David. So he throws in with David, and we see. Uh, that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And then uh, Joab, who we met before, murders Abner. David mourns after Abner. Um, and then in chapter 4, Ishbosheth is is murdered, right? And then only then, in chapter 5, does David um, receive those messengers um, that were part of um, Israel, all the tribes of Israel, to join with David into one. United Kingdom. <laughs> so this whole kinging thing uh, is a little messy. In our reading today, David is described um, by Israel as 
that the Lord is with him, and that you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel, right? Um, so he's described as a shepherd ruler. Of course, this reminds us of the son of David, Jesus, right? Um, Jesus in John chapter 10 describes himself as the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, right? So there, the king, king of kings, lord of lords, Jesus, is described by himself as shepherd. Of course, that's a fulfillment uh, of all that shepherd language uh, amongst the prophets. I suppose the most notable is in Micah chapter 5. This one you hear uh, in Advent every year. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, or king, right? Whose goings forth are of old from everlasting to everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until that time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. This is all, you see this fulfilled uh, with David, but then ultimately with Jesus, right? And he shall stand, the ruler, Jesus, and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So there you have the king, also described as the shepherd. (laughs) All right, now where is Hebron? All right, Hebron is in the uh, southwest, it's southwest of Jerusalem, uh, about uh, 15, I think, to 20 miles from, from there. It's always have to convert from metric uh, English to English uh, distance. Although I saw that um, since England has left, Brexit, Brexit has happened, that uh, they're going to go back, allow for English metric, or English system again over metric uh, in England. I saw that the uh, Prime Minister declared that. All right, let's see if we can find a map here for you. That's helpful. It's going to be a probably a recent map, and that's not going to help too much. Yeah, this one will work. All right, let's make it nice and big. Sorry, internet is uh, super slow today. Yeah, that's not opening. I don't know. How about trying to find a good map for you? Now, here we go. Here's a Bible map. All right, let's put this one up. This will be good enough. All right, so you see here, see if I can make it bigger. There it is. All right. So Hebron, right here in the center, you can see. All right. Um, And where is Jerusalem relative to that? All the way up here at the top. All right. So you can see the Salt Sea over here, the Dead Sea to the right. Here's Hebron down here. There's the road that goes up through Bethlehem into Jabus, which becomes Jerusalem later. Those two cities merge. All right, you can see some of the other cities we've talked about, like Kyla over to the left here. Um, you can see Adullam. That was, that's where the cave was that, that um, uh, David hid in. Right, so you can see many of those, these towns right there. All right. Then, um, how old was David when he became king? 30 years old, right? You see that in verse 4. He was 30 years old. Who else began um, his reign or his uh, preaching of the kingdom of heaven at age 30? That's right, Jesus. 
Uh, how long was David King? It says here 40 years, right? In total, right? Um, but, but that was divided. Again, as we talked about, the first seven years and six months were on, over Judah alone and from Hebron. All right. And then the final 33 years was over both Judah and Israel. 33 years. Who else reigned on earth for 33 years before dying in Jerusalem? That would be Jesus again, right? <laughs> um, what do they call the city of Jerusalem after its conquest? We hear that a couple times in here. The stronghold of Zion, the city of David. It was called Jebus. You know, and that's why there's Jebusites coming from there. But then it becomes Jerusalem, the city of peace, also known as the city of David. Yeah. I think all this backstory, all this back history, we forget when Jesus says, see a chat here, a note in the chat. When Jesus says, all scripture testifies of me, um, sometimes it's a little bit of a struggle to see, but in the life and, and uh, kingdom of David, it's, it's quite obvious um, that David, when Jesus call, is called the son of David, there's, you're, you expect to find many parallels between the life and ministry of David uh, and that of Jesus, if not direct correlations, you know, contrast as well. All right, then here at the end of verse 12, it says that uh, David, oh, actually, verse 10, that David went on to become great. But why? Because the Lord God of hosts was with him. Yeah, so David was about 70 when he died, or when his kingdom was taken from him, um, which isn't too terribly old, actually, in the history of the Bible. But um, 40 year reign is actually pretty significant for the kings. That's longer than most kings. All right, did he, did David earn this greatness by his obedience to God or by his great actions? No, again, it was because the God of hosts was with him. All right, so how do the Philistines react to David being anointed? Well, of course, they're going to come up and, and test their new, this new king and test his resources and see uh, where David is and where his armies are and maybe go to battle against him. Right, so they've deployed themselves for battle in Rephaim. Right? Notice, as we saw with Saul, so now, now with David again, being a faithful king, he inquires of the Lord whether he should attack or not, right? And then do what the Lord tells him, which is key here. And the Lord, of course, promises that he will doubtless deliver him, or the Philistines, from or into their hand, into your hand. That's what he says. Now, there's an, a curious expression here in verse 20 that I think we should pay attention to. It says, David defeated, of course, the Philistines at Baal Perazim. And notice what he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. A breakthrough of water, right? So uh, when like the water breaks through a dam or through, um, um, you know, something that's holding it back, right? Um, breaking through with water. This might be a, a picture of baptism for us, right? Where the Lord breaks out um, and overwhelms us in the waters of holy baptism, much like we heard in our Psalm, Psalm 124, where the enemies are describing as wave coming over us like waves or like a torrent to flood us. So God does the same, but he does it for our benefit. Rather than be an enemy that just seeking to destroy us, God breaks out, his waters break out over us in order to cleanse us and to redeem us and to save us and to drown the old Adam. Right. Um, what else should we remember about the Philistines and their idols here? 
because they left their images here and David and his men carried them away. Yeah, their gods could not defeat the true God. That's the key. Right? We, we heard about this a little bit yesterday when we were talking about uh, the way they made a mockery of Israel by um, taking Saul's army into the temples of the Asherahs. Um, in verse 24, David inquired of the Lord, and God said to him, And it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees that you shall advance quickly, and the Lord will come out before you to strike at the camp of the Philistines. So notice who's fighting here? The Lord goes out before him, right? He leads the charge to defeat the enemies. And who might, or what would the sound of marching, the sound of the marching in the trees be? David is given uh, some insight that it's the, the Lord of hosts who fights for us, meaning he brings his hosts, his armies with him. This is the angel host, right, that fights for David. This is wonderfully expressed by, um, uh, by Tolkien in The Return of the King, the third book in The Lord of the Rings, uh, when, the, when the king comes back and the king is restored, again, a picture of Christ, um, to come fight against evil of Sauron and his armies, um, that he also brings um, the armies of the dead who are like angels um, who come and fight uh, with the king. All right. Uh, in the story, we're going to hear uh, on Monday, the, the next chapter is about the ark being moved to Jerusalem. How do you think the, the ark, um, the story of the ark is being connected to David's defeat of the Philistines? This goes all the way back to, again, that story about where the Philistines had uh, captured or stolen the ark in the days of Samuel, Samuel 4, for Samuel 4. And the reason was because the Israelites were putting their trust in the ark itself rather than the Lord who was promised to be present with the ark. Right? And we talked about this in the sermon on Wednesday night, how even the best um, religious iconography or expressions of faith, like the sign of the cross, um, that that can become superstition and even become uh, worship in and of itself, and not rather point to what the sign of the cross is to remind you of. Your baptism, you're being joined to Christ in his crucifixion, Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we make the sign of the cross. All right. But it can, t- it can become just a pious superstition, right? That people just make the sign of the cross as if um, it means something in and of itself, rather than pointing to the gift of Jesus crucified for us. All right. So same idea with the ark. They had trusted in the ark itself rather than in the Lord who'd promised to be present um, sitting upon the ark, right, on the mercy seat. Uh, And so then the Lord allows the ark to be captured, right? He takes away their idolatry. (laughs) He tears down the idol from the throne um, until such time as they repent. Now he's going to restore the ark um, to Jerusalem, um, having destroyed the Philistines. There's a question here. Could anyone see them? It doesn't say that they could simply that they would hear them. Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God promises that the hosts would come and fight for them. And so it is. Meditation then. David is a wonderful picture of the Christ who was yet to come. He was a shepherd as Christ is the good shepherd. He killed Goliath with one stone, even as Christ the stone slew the devil by crushing his head. David was 30 when he began to reign even as Christ was 30 when he came preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. 
David reigned 33 years over both Judah and Israel in Jerusalem, even as Christ came into Jerusalem in his 33rd year to receive the crown of thorns which established his kingdom. The Lord of hosts, who entrusted the kingdom to David, is the Lord of hosts to whom we sing each time we prepare for the sacrament and divine service. There he brings us into the new Jerusalem and unites us with himself in his kingdom. All right, what is the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. What is the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins against the fifth commandment. Strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of marriage, where you join together a man and a woman in love for each other and when it is your will to become a father and a mother. Strengthen our faith in Jesus so that we lead a pure and decent life in what we say and do and grow to be faithful husbands and wives who love and honor our spouses. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pray the collect. O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray for the preaching of the Holy Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it spread throughout the whole world, for the persecuted, for the sick and dying. We pray this day in Thanksgiving with Maya and Mina, who both celebrate their birthday. We also pray for our households, especially the households of Joel and Deb, Summer, Tom and Sandy, Maggie and Jim. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Ron, Amanda, Dan, John, and Timothy, Janice, Sandy, Ken, Kathy, and Kay. Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Roy, Willis, and Mickey. We pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially the relief efforts of LCMS World Relief and Human Care. And we ask the Lord to give us generous hearts to support that ministry financially this month. We pray for a gift and increase of gentleness. Pray for those still stranded in Afghanistan. We pray for those suffering from the results of Hurricane Ida. Pray for those grieving, especially William at the death of his wife Janice and Willis at the death of his wife Janice. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil that all my doings and life may please you. 
For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing stanzas one through four of our hymn this week, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. of a shame that you uh, don't get to join the children at 8 a.m. We've been working all week on the hymn, and by today, um, I had the younger kids humming and the older kids singing loud enough that we could actually hear the words. It was actually a beautiful, um, beautiful sight and brings joy, I think, to, well, brings joy to all of us, including um, not only the teacher, the students one-to-one, but also the teachers uh, to hear the song of the children singing um, the Confession of Faith like this. So um, you missed it, but I got to enjoy it. And really warmed my heart this morning. Um, And that's, of course, the goal of everything we do as far as catechesis, not only here online, but uh, each morning with the day school children, uh, with our homeschool children and those families who pray the congregation prayer at home, is that they would be nurtured and strengthened in the faith, that they would learn uh, to confess the faith with boldness, that they would actually know what they believe and why they believe it, that they would sing out with joy, um, regardless of how well they sing, but it's actually just uh, to sing. Um, because it stirs the heart and moves, um, really a lot. I would say moves the heart so that the words take root, right, and um, can be stored up there, uh, so that you're prepared for whatever may come your way in this world. Uh, it does take some work, take some discipline, um, but thank you for joining us here each morning at nine a.m. and making that a regular habit, part of your your life of prayer. Um, because yeah, you may not realize it now. You may not even see it in six months or a year. Some of you have been joining us each day for the last, how long we've been doing this, right? A year and a half, something like that. Um, you know that it has, that it does have, bear fruit, right? The word does bear fruit. And uh, so stick with it, run the race, 
<laughs> and uh, your faith will be strengthened and you'll be confident uh, to face whatever trials and challenges the Lord sets before you today and tomorrow. So God be with you, keep you safe in his word, and we'll see you again tomorrow.